I'm Sonia Morton Firth and you're tuned in to the Sonia Morton Firth Show. Today my guest is Caroline Bramwell, author, speaker, PR and marketing consultant, an Ironman competitor and triathlon coach. Caroline lost her large intestine and colon following a life-changing operation to stop the disease colitis. It basically is your autoimmune system has, instead of fighting off viruses, it's turning the guns in on itself. Turning her life around, she embarked on a tough mission to complete an Ironman, showing that anything is possible. Where do you think this determination came from? I think I've come to realise I'm goal-driven. I think I need a goal. I need a goal. If I don't, I just sort of meander along and it'll work out, but I need goals. Caroline, thank you so much for being a guest in my home today. I can't tell you how excited I am to have this interview. How are you doing? I'm really good, really good. So good to get out. It is. I'm a meeting person. Yeah, lovely. Um, look, I really want to get into your journey, but before we do that, for my audience, can you tell me who you are and what you do? I am a PR and marketing consultant, but actually, when I'm not sat behind a computer screen, I wear Lycra. So I'm my day job has always been PR and marketing, but I became a triathlete and became a sponsored triathlete. So, you know, it's quite a quite a transformation from one extreme to the other, really. It is. Well, let's get into that journey now because you have got an amazing story. I've got to say, I've, I've just finished reading your book, which I've got to recommend to anybody, but had me in tears and I absolutely couldn't put it down. Yeah. Um, I. The first part of the book describes your journey up until that life-changing moment. Can you take me through that? Uh, if I take you right back, mm. I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, which is... I was going to say, can you tell me what I mean? Yeah. I now know what it is. I had to spend a while trying to learn how to pronounce it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Ulcerative colitis, and this is why I wanted to write the story so people understood what this is. Um, Ulcerative colitis, or UC, is like Crohn's disease. People have heard of Crohn's, uh, but it's your own body's autoimmune disorder. Your body attacks you. So it's basically is your autoimmune system has, instead of fighting off viruses, mm -hmm. it's turning the guns in on itself. So what was it like living with this disease? I mean, it sounds horrendous. Your body's eating you from inside. What, what practically does that mean? Well, the grimmest parts of it is that it's when it attacks you, your large intestine becomes ulcerated, and that's where the so it, it is like a, an open wound on the inside, which wasn't healing, <clears throat> and that caused you to bleed, and so you know you become then fatigued, <clears throat> so you become f fatigued from this um, constant bleeding, this ulceration inside, and. Because of that, you lose weight, you're tired all the time, and you have to try and suppress it. You have to control it in some way. Now, I was diagnosed when I was pregnant, which definitely did not help. And when I, when I first found I was bleeding, I thought I was losing the baby. You know, the biggest fear of a mum, because I'd had a miscarriage before, and I thought, oh my God, I'm losing so the baby. So you didn't, up until that time, did you have any other symptoms, or was it usually you were bleeding I, and, I when you were pregnant? Of course no. you would think you were. It only started whilst I was pregnant. This was my second pregnancy. So, you know, it wasn't like my first pregnancy. So this one, I was getting bleeding and I went to the doctors and they said, it's not the baby. It's coming from 
the back end of you. So it's not that. Um, and so that's when we had to consider what could it be. And the GPs were saying it could be IBS. But actually, because of my description of what was happening, mm. they thought it was more likely disease-based. Um, and so the only way to know for sure is to have a, a look with a colonoscopy. I was about camera. to say, did they do, but if you're pregnant, yeah. that's it's dangerous that, for the baby, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. But she was born by cesarean because of being breech and everything else. So she was born and within two weeks of her being born, I lost two stone in weight. Because what was happening, the moment the baby has come out of my body, mm -hmm. the disease was full on, you know, getting me. Um, because I was no longer fighting it to try and look after the baby. So, yeah, within two weeks, yes, you expect to lose a little bit of weight after you've had a baby, but not two stone in two weeks. So I was becoming really thin. I couldn't feed her. My body wouldn't produce milk. So she ended up being bottle fed at two weeks old. And um, that's when they decided they had to put me onto the steroids to control the disease. So I couldn't really get it under control until after she was born. And at that point, were they, did they give you any sort of hope that look, you can live with this disease, you can get through it? Um, I don't know what the implications were. Were you given any sign of hope? I think there was, there's always hope because mm. they say we manage it. Um, it's managed with medication and that's what we were doing. How did you manage it? Did, well, did it manage you? Yeah, it's very much in control, this condition. What I was doing was thinking, I was still thinking the, I can manage this. Yes, I was taking tablets, but I knew if I ate certain foods like bread, wheat, I would bloat. And then I would have what we call a flare up, which is when the disease would cause me to need the toilet instantly. And that is the worst part of this disease as it gets worse you lose control, bowel control. So, I mean, look, needing the toilet instantly doesn't sound like much fun at all. What, were there any incidents that you can recall that sort of put it into perspective? Oh, which... God, yeah. There was, to me, I was having to live my life looking at every tree, bush, brick wall, because it could go like that. That's how fast it would happen. Even in my own home, you know, I couldn't get to the bathroom quick enough in my own home. That's how instantaneous it is. The disease just racks you. And when you go to the bathroom, you're in there for ages in pain because you're bleeding and everything. You're it's, bleeding as well. So you, you bleed. Was... You, it's like your body's turning its inside, itself inside out. That's my best way of describing it. So I'm sort of a picture and trying not to picture, <laughs> Don't picture it. Like a really bad case of diarrhea almost. Imagine food poisoning, the worst nah. food poisoning you can have. And that's 10 times that every single day. And that, bleeding on top. With the bleeding with it as well. And which is why you become fatigued. Because you're losing not only fluids, but it's just, they have to control it with meds. And what would happen when you have an attack like that, um, if it was going on for a, a week or two, they would up the tablets to get it under control. And that was the way they do it. You'd keep suppressing it with the steroids. Um, and the moment it was under control, they go, right, it's in remission. So we try and reduce the steroid usage and it would get to a point where it would suddenly flare again. You think, oh, went too low. I described it as yo-yoing with medication. And of course, you got the side effects of the steroids as well. Caroline, what was your life like? Because you just had a baby as well. Um, and 
you know, you're going through all that, the time that you're with your newborn and you've had a little one as well. Yes, yes. I mean, how did that affect your life? For me, um, when Natasha was tiny, as I say, I couldn't feed her. She was in a crib by the bed, so I was there whenever she woke. But my husband was having to bottle feed her so I could rest. And my husband ended up doing everything, absolutely everything, because when I was unwell, I was so exhausted, I couldn't do anything. And I describe it very much as becoming an invisible mum, because I lived with this for then four years. From the moment she was born, she was nearly four before I'd made some momentous decisions. But for four years, it just gradually got worse. And if we went somewhere, say we went, we took the kids to Butlins for a weekend, that was the only kind of holiday we could allow ourselves to do because of me. Um, because you couldn't get further in the journey? Yep, because, because the... I couldn't travel, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't leave the house at the worst. I couldn't even leave my own home, um, which is why my business imploded, because I couldn't see clients, I couldn't win clients, I had to let staff go because I wasn't getting any new client work. And we have a turnover of clients yeah, in the nature of, course, of what we when do. You run your own business, it's, it's difficult at the best of times. It really but was. Then... Um, but you see, I remember being at Butlin's, and if we took them into the big central area where all the activities are, I'd be going, I just need the loo, and I'd be gone for ages. And they spent most of their time stood outside the public loos until the point I just said, I'm going to go back to the apartment or go back to the chalet. You go off and do it. So my husband was doing everything. How did it, did it affect your relationship with your family? Um, I don't think it affected... It, it made him the, the mum, the dad, the everything because I physically couldn't. He had to do the shopping. He had to do the housework. He had to run around after the kids because I couldn't. I mean, if I went to Tesco, for example, um, the steroids, the, one of the side effects of steroids is they screw your head up. It's not just yeah, the physical impact, right. it's the mental impact of steroid use. Um, and long-term steroids, they just, it was like noise, it was like clamoring in your head all the time. I just remember occasions being in Tesco's with two small children, on a Saturday, bad decision going in on yeah. a Saturday. Um, and I just, there was just too much noise in the shop, too many people. And I just kind of had a meltdown and just had to pick the kids up and leave because I could not cope. It was just too much. My head couldn't cope. So uh, I'd have to just desert my shopping. <laughs> was there, at that point, anyone that actually helped you mentally? Because presumably you were talking to a number of doctors, consultants about your condition. But were you actually any, talking to anybody mentally how, how this was affecting actually, you? no. No, not at all. On the mental side of having this condition, considering this was a few back, years back now, there was no recommendation for mental health support. So I was very much dealing with it on my own and my husband and I talking about it and doing our own research. I did, at the point where I had to make a decision about surgery, I reached out to a charity and then I was talking to somebody there. But that was only at the point where I was right at the end. I didn't know anybody with colitis. So it was trying to find charitable support, but there was nobody there for mental health support, um, which we would look for now. Absolutely. But, you know, we weren't doing that back then. So, so let's take us, to, let's get to that point because you made a, a massive decision, the decision to have the operation. How did you get to that decision? What, what was that point? You know in your life you get an aha moment and you go, 
I have to make some decisions. For me, because I hardly ever left the house, my husband and I made a plan to go to the cinema one night. I hadn't eaten, I'd had a quiet, stress-free day, day so that I didn't have any flare-ups. And we went to the cinema in the evening and everything went fine, except for when we were walking back to the car and I had an attack. Um, this flare-up hit me as we were heading back to the car late at night. All I could do was dash into the bushes because there was nowhere else to go. My Gosh. husband was... I think for my husband it was the first time he'd actually seen the impact on me when I was out. Now bear in mind, I'd been doing this for a number of years, three, three and a half years. And you couldn't have waited till you got home? even though I couldn't have waited till I got to the car. Oh. That's how instant this disease would hit you when you have an attack. You have to dive somewhere. And um, my husband was like walking up and down the street on watch while I'm hiding in the bushes um, just because I was racked, absolutely racked. And as I came out from there, we said, we've got to make some decisions. And the consultant had mooted the idea about surgery. And you know, you think I can do this. I don't want surgery. I don't want surgery. I can manage it. Um, I accepted that night. I couldn't manage it. I could not control it. I had to make some big decisions at that point. My priority was quality of life. By now, uh, my little girl, Natasha was four. Robert was six. And to me, my life, could not be revolved around a portal in a car. And I said, no, I've got to take control of the situation. How did you, that must've been a very difficult decision. How did you weigh up the pros and the cons? I suppose for me, the pros and cons of making a big momentous decision is that, will I regret it? You know, we always, if we're gonna make a big decision, we've got to think, are we making the right decision? So for me, the pros were, I'm going to be able to leave the house. I could do things with the children. The cons would be that I'd have to have a stoma bag for the rest of my life. So the surgery was to have my large intestine removed completely. And the end of your large intestine, sorry, the end of your small intestine is brought out through the wall of your stomach and you have a stoma bag that just collects. Without getting too graphic, but actually yeah. I think it is necessary. So basically you don't go to the toilet in the normal way that we go to the, no. that you used to go to the toilet. I tell people I've got a third armpit because I got sewn up. So yeah, for me, I have no back end in effect because what they do, they remove all of that and sew you up. If that's what you choose to, I made the decision to make mine permanent right from day one because it was quality of life was my top priority. My family, my kids were my priority. And if that meant do this once, get it done, get rid of the disease, let's get back to living. Well, just out of interest, why, why did you decide to make it irreversible? Because I knew from the research and talking to the consultants, you can have it reversed and you can have an internal pouch created, which basically would mean more surgeries. And even then there was no guarantee that it would work. The colitis might still be in that last section because they rejoin you up. And I didn't want to have more surgeries. Mm. To me, it's like I could have three surgeries, still not be able to get back to work, still not have quality of life with my kids. Why would I put myself through all of that with no guarantee? For me, have the stoma, make it permanent, get it done, get back to life and find your, you know, the things you want to do again. So it was hard. It was a hard, mentally it was hard to make that decision to make it permanent and irreversible. 
And is it a decision that you've looked back, have ever looked back on? I have never regretted it, ever. Because I hear so many people who've had pouches, internal pouches or reversals, and yeah, not everybody's is successful. Some are, some aren't. Who knows what would have happened for me? So I've never regretted for one moment that I made mine permanent because a year after that, I was determined to get fit again. And I thought, I'm fixed, I'm off, I've got to be me again. Because I'd bloated out with all the steroids, I was overweight, I was big, I would cry looking in the mirror and I wanted to get back to being me again. So this was after the operation. So yeah, get that, take us back to that moment. So you went through, you had the operation, you made that decision to have the operation. What happened after that? How did you, did you just suddenly recover? What was, what was the recovery process like? When I had the surgery, it's the most bizarre thing because you know when you're ill, you recover over time and you've got time mentally to get used to suddenly being okay again. With something like this, I went into hospital very sick. Mm. Three and a half hours later after surgery, I'm fixed. I don't have the disease anymore because they physically just cut that section out. I woke up from surgery and they went, you don't need all these medications anymore, you're sorted. It's the most bizarre thing ever. It's one thing going into an anaesthetic where you know you, you lose time when you go into anaesthetic. Yes, yeah. But mm. to go under the anaesthetic sick and wake up again going, you're fixed. It's like, oh, that's a bit of a mind bender. Mm. But to me, I was smiling ear to ear. Yeah, I've got a bag, but I'm fixed. <laughs> I haven't got wow, the so disease. that point, you'd reached that point and it was the only way forward. I knew. I elected to have this done. I knew it was the right decision for me. And I feel for people who find they have it done through emergency and it's very difficult to come to terms with. And I talk to so many people who do struggle with it. But what I do is say to them, but look what it's giving you. Don't look back at what you had before. Look at what you can do now. So for me, having this bag meant I could leave the house. It meant I could be with the kids. But you didn't just leave the house. You went on <laughs> and did ama amazing things. Um, physical feats what, what I want to know was what how did you get from that point of wow I'm fixed I can leave the house now to wanting to train for a triathlon oh yeah my journey to a triathlon has been slightly I know go with the flow sort of thing I would say I started because I had my surgery in March and later that year I decided because I was overweight and bloated I wanted to get fit you know, I've had the surgery, I've recovered from the surgery because mine was keyhole, single site keyhole. So I've got no scars on my body at all. I've literally got my stoma. It was the first ileostomy performed through single site keyhole surgery. And just to explain what exactly a stoma is, because I did a little bit of a research on it. Can you, can you describe, I know your children yeah. beautifully describe it in the book, <laughs> and then I looked it up. Yeah. describe what, what a stoma the is? The stoma is actually where the end of your small intestine comes out through the wall of your stomach. So a little bit that protrudes mm. on the end, that little bit of your intestine is now called your stoma. It's actually the surgery, it's the bit that comes That's out. Not. Do you know, because the kids, accepted it so easily they were only tiny you know four and six <clears throat> they were so tiny at four and six um and accepting it they thought it was quite hilarious they thought it was oh mum look oh look at that you know what small children are like yeah. and so i thought well if they're so accepting what am i worried about yeah. 
And so I accepted it just as comfortably as they did. So they named it Strawberry when they were tiny. Even now that they are grown teenagers, it's still referred to as Strawberry. It's just got a name. So yeah, the kids made it very easy for me to accept. And I'd shown them books and colouring books and what all the surgery was when they were tiny to understand what was happening to mum. And they just accepted it for what it was. And it's been brilliant. So the stoma is just the little bit that sticks out. And I remember my daughter actually said, Mum, when I'm older, will I get one? Oh. And I said, I hope not. (laughs) But don't worry if you do, but don't, yeah. So going back to that moment, sorry, because I did interrupt you, um, on uh, you, you, you were bloated with all the steroids. Yeah. That's still a difference between being bloated and then getting to that point of thinking, right, I'm going to do a triathlon. Was there a, was there a point that you'd reached where you thought, this is it? Well, I knew because I'd been so overweight, once I got fit, I wanted to get back to the old me. I wanted to lose the weight. Um, and I will confess, I'm a couch potato. I've always been a couch potato. I hated running. I hated it at school big time. And so there was no way. I'm not the sort of person who would go out and do a run every day. That was just not me. So I actually decided to book myself onto a charitable event, which was a cycle event, and um, signed up. I then went and checked with my doctor. I went, oh, am I okay to do this big cycle event? So so what was the big cycle event? Yeah, well, I didn't even tell my doctor to start when I explained it to her. I signed up to cycle London to Paris. That, that's not just any old cycle no, event. No. That's, that's quite a big event. And it was I'm a 24 sure. hour event. 24 within hours. Within 24 hours. So you had to cycle. Now, I don't know how many miles that is, but it's it's got to be, a, that's got to be a fair pace. Excluding the ferry, it's 270 miles in 24 hours. So before your disease, were you a cyclist? Were you like a, a groundbreaking cyclist? Uh, I think I can safely of? say no. <laughs> I was, I think the last time I rode a bike was probably about 15 years before. And that was it, when I was out in Africa. Where do you think this determination came from? I think I've come to realise I'm goal driven. I think I, like I need a goal. I need a goal. If I don't, I just sort of meander along and it'll work out, but I need goals. Do you think that goal and that gave you a purpose? Do you think that helped you in the recovery process? Definitely. I need that. I don't think I would have ever gone out and got fit if I hadn't had that goal there that I had to train towards. I had something to build towards. So for me, I rode to Paris just a year and a couple of months after my surgery. So I had the surgery in the March one year and I rode to Paris the following July, having only started the training in the November. So I had to work. I hired a PT. I had to get somebody to train me and I hated every second of it to start with. But once I'd done that first ride, I was just hooked, absolutely hooked. But I slipped into couch potato mode again. It it can't have been easy, even for, for anybody, any one of us to do that sort of cycle ride. And I know you went on and, and did more cycle rides. I know there was a London to I'm from Newcastle. So I remember oh, that yes. part in the book. Newcastle and uh, absolutely Newcastle to London. And it, it, <laughs> it did sound quite horrendous. But you're also dealing with the physical with something physical going on as well. Yes. How did that affect you? Because that can't have been easy. I learned very quickly what I had to do. And actually the whole experience on that 24 hour ride, I had to deal with my bag while I was riding 
you know, I had to stop and change my bag behind a tree some days, you know, if I was having an issue with it. I've got to be prepared to be able to talk to people and say to them, look, guys, do you mind? I need to just sort this out. Whereas I never used to tell people initially what I had. I soon found that people were so accepting when you share that they were like, Great. Now, you can't see that. I can't see the bag, and I'm sorry if it is putting you on, on the spot. You can't see the bag. Um, but you were wearing lycra, and, and I, oh, love, yes. I love the title to the book, Lou Rolls Lycra. And lycra to me suggests that it would be quite tight. It's clingy. Um, this is my triathlon tri I brought for you. Because one of the big parts of triathlon, which is what I've moved on to, is about wearing lycra. And you know, I've learned that unless you tell people you've got a stoma, they're not gonna know. How many people have got lumps and bumps? They're not yeah. gonna know whether they got a stoma or not. So for me, a lot of it was accepting this is part of me. And if somebody thinks I've got something under my lycra, so what? I've got a story to tell them, you know. So for me, I wasn't worried about the aesthetic aspect. And I know it is an issue for some people, and I think that's probably the biggest worry people have when they have the surgery. It probably, if I'm honest, that was me looking in the mirror when I was holding this bag before surgery, going, oh my God, I'm gonna have that stuck on me forever. But actually when I realized what it gave me, I didn't give a toss. What is it giving you now? I've got complete freedom. I have got a whole new energy. And actually, I would think when you've come to something so bad in your life and you think this is, life sage late this is life-saving surgery you look at your life and go what am i going to do with the rest of my life when you realize how much time has passed and you need to make something do something with your life and to me that's what it did for me it made me look at my life and go you're only here once let's live every day because i'd lost so much time with my kids for four years i could do nothing with my children and that's actually what got me into the triathlon. My kids swim like fish because they had lessons. We lived by the coast. And I'd lost all that time when they were tiny. And so I decided that they were my motivator to learn to swim. And I only learned to swim seven years ago. And you were scared of water, right? I was terrified of water from an experience when I was a kid. What was the experience when you were a kid? I just remember somebody dunking me and the panic of I'm drowning, I'm drowning sort of thing from being very small. And so I'd always been scared of water. I don't, I could get in water, but I didn't like my face getting wet. I couldn't put my face underwater. I'd panic attack if, if I got wet on my face. So um, to me, that was my biggest fear. You didn't just go into water, <laughs> sorry. Um, like anything, you didn't just go for a 5K run. You decided to do an Ironman. Now let's talk about Ironman. Firstly, what is an Ironman? I know what one is, but for the yes. audience, what is an Ironman? It's Iron not Man. just any old race. No, Ironman is the probably the toughest triathlon that there is. It's an endurance event of a 2.4 mile open water swim. Then you've got 112 miles cycle, and then you have a marathon. And with Ironman, you have 17 hours to do it in. So you end on a marathon. You finish wow. with a marathon after wow. you've done all this other yeah. stuff. So that was the big, big goal. But see, I didn't put that as my goal. I didn't go, do you know what? I think I'll do Ironman. I actually just learned to swim, to swim with my kids. And having learned to swim, 
I thought, well, I know I can cycle because I've done these bike rides. I now know I can swim. And my theory, the girl who couldn't run, was like, oh, anybody could do a run. Anybody can run. So I thought, well, maybe I'll have a go at a triathlon. And I was just planning to do something local. And so I joined my local North Devon Tri, the, the club, and um, started to do it with them and just did little local stuff. And I got swept along. Everyone's going, oh, and do you fancy doing this one? And oh, do you fancy doing that event? And I'm like, oh, that sounds good. Yeah, I'll do that. And I got swept along. And before I knew it, I was going from what we describe as a sprint distance mm. to an Olympic distance. And then you double it again to half iron and then double that again to the full Ironman. So I end up, I, I was just easily led by my friends, but my support, my team. But they knew I had a stoma then because I was honest with them. So against the odds, what do you think kept you going? Was there something in the back of your mind that kept you going? What's kept me going? Once I started doing triathlons and talking about it with a stoma, and I'm really public about the surgery I have because I want people to stop worrying about talking about it. It's a subject that people think is very taboo. And I think that puts an awful lot of stigma on the people who are having surgery. So I thought, I'm going to be very public about it and say, don't let it stop your life. So as I started to talk about what I was doing, my following grew. I was finding that people who were following me were people who'd got sur had surgery. And they were like, oh, that's great. I could do this. So I knew I was helping others by sharing that. And the more I did, the more races I did, I then had people in the triathlon community going, I've heard that. And suddenly my triathlon followers grew. So suddenly my audience were not just people with stomas, but people who haven't got stomas. And I remember one girl said to me, I knew somebody who'd been really poorly with Crohn's and I hadn't really appreciated what they lived through. So I knew I'd educated people by sharing my story. What makes you most proud of where you've got to? I think the proudest thing for me is seeing other people achieve things. It's not what I've done, because I am self-motivated. I love that my kids say, I'm a fit mum. And I think, God, I was fat mum, now I'm fit mum. So my kids have been my motivators. But what I'm proud of is seeing how others are doing more things and how visibility of the subject is being more openly discussed. And that's a massive thing. I got asked, I was approached to be um, sponsored. I became a sponsored triathlete. So I had a, a manufacturer in the stoma world, first of all, became one of my sponsors. And then after that, the charity, the Ileostomy and Internal Pouch Association, wanted to sponsor me. And a publisher wanted my book. They wanted my story because they'd seen what I was mm. about. You know, it's, it's a, a, such an inspiring story, Caroline. Mm. What would you say to anybody that is sitting there thinking they've got maybe this big life, this big life decision to make about their physical health? Is there any words of advice you would give them? I think the main thing is to talk to other people. Um, don't internalise it. Don't worry about what you can't do. You need to talk to a lot more people. And that's what I didn't have back then. You didn't have that. But I have now. And I have so many people talk to me. And I was... You know, every one of us have got a different journey. Mm. Every one of us come to these health issues from different reasons. So just because I've done this doesn't mean it will work for the next one. But I can show them how mentally they can approach it better. 
Do you think if you hadn't have had this disease and the life-changing operation, you would have gone on and done Ironman? Absolutely not. Now that the in itself. The lazy couch potato girl would still be sitting on the sofa. <laughs> yeah. So in a strange way, do you think this has been a benefit to you? This has been a, a life changer. You know, we do have life changing moments and it's what we do with it. Post-traumatic growth Yeah. to me. Oh, love it. This is what comes from it. from it. The bad experience has triggered a new chapter. So it wasn't the end, it was the start. My story got featured in a triathlon magazine. You know, they did a feature in a tri magazine. So to me, it's inspiring other people um, to tackle new things. And if there are three things that you would want people to take from your story, what would those three things be? It could be three or maybe four things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I'll go on for hours. Um, but I would say the top things would be, my top three would be, first of all, speak to people. Don't try and cope on your own. It's so important to have support around you, either family or charitable support. You know, there are people there to talk to. Um, that's the first one. My biggest takeaway is going to be, don't put things off. You know, we don't know how long we're going to be here. If you want to have a good life, make it happen. There's no such thing as luck. Mm. It's what happens consciously makes things happen. If you want to have a, a go at something, just have a go. What's the worst? You know, it might not work out the way you wanted. Blimey, I do triathlons. Some of them I've not even finished. I've had mechanical failures. I've had uh, punctures. Um, in Ironman, I've just not made the cut. You know, the time, I've not beaten the clock. But that doesn't mean you stop trying. So my third tip was just give things a go, no matter what they are in your life, not just sporting. You know, why put things off? Why hold yourself back? Do you let anything hold you back, Caroline? What's next? Because I know you've just actually become qualified as a, as a triathlon coach. I have. That was, yeah, what a transformation from being couch potato to becoming a tri-coach. I've qualified as a tri-coach. I want to help other people who are scared of sport or triathlon, specifically, obviously, triathlon. Mm -hmm. I was terrified of swimming. I couldn't run. I mean, I still... I can change a tyre on my bike, but I couldn't do all the mechanical stuff. And yet here I am competing in races. I'm here to help people who are also thinking, oh, I really fancy it, but I'm scared to. I don't know anyone. Or maybe it was a drunken bet. They've signed up for something and don't know where to start. Those are the things, people I want to help with my tri-coaching stuff. But I get approached by, I've had the approaches from the police force, to do talks, inspire the police officers, motivational stuff. And that's, all of that is what motivates me. Motivating others is my motivation. motivation. Caroline, really honestly, truly inspiring story. Look, I, I know we could, we could talk, I could talk to you all, all afternoon. Um, just, I've just come to my final question though, and that is if you were to write a message in a bottle for future generations to find, what would that message be? I think my message in a bottle would be tomorrow is not guaranteed. So make sure you pack in everything you want to do as soon as you have the idea, the dream, the passion. Just go for it. 
Caroline, thank you so much for being a guest on my thank show. Thank you. It's been a real honour having Absolutely you here. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, there's a new interview out every Monday. So hit subscribe and like and you'll get it straight into your inbox.